does it require the architect to take on more of a leadership role or just to kind of collaborate more with the contractor or a little bit of both? I would say a little bit of both and uh, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. If you just leave the leadership role and tell the contractor to figure it out, you're, you're avoiding your responsibility and also you don't want to leave it to chance because you still are responsible for this building. Hi, I'm Jeff Lee, the host of the Building Forward podcast. I'll be speaking with the building industry's most thoughtful leaders on the technologies and business models transforming productivity in the built environment. In other words, data, analysis, and big ideas with a hard hat to help your construction business evolve and thrive. Thanks for stopping by. Let us know what you think and what keeps you up at night. The Building Forward podcast is produced in partnership with Geldwen Windows and Doors. Visit Geldwen's professional portal at professionals.geldwen.com for assistance with your 2019 projects. You'll find product comparison tools, how-to videos, and case studies, plus information on Geldwen's extensive selection of windows, patio doors, entry and interior doors. That's at professionals.geldwen.com. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Sal Verastro while at the AIA conference. We talked off-site construction, where it's headed, and the influence of technology in both construction and design communication. Here's our conversation. I'm here today with Sal Verastro from Spillman Farmer Architects. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for asking me. I appreciate it, Jeff. Can you start off by introducing yourself and your role at Spillman Farmer? Sure. Uh, Sal Verastro. I'm a principal at Spillman Farmer Architects for about 36 years. We're a uh, high-end design firm, a full-service firm. We do mostly college and university, but we're fairly diversified. My role there primarily started off as a technical specification writer. It morphed into more than that. I started doing forensic studies, legal expert witnessing, and then when I became a partner some 15 or 18 years ago, I became a managing partner and and, uh, still do some of those things, but I no longer write technical specifications. I do review them, of course, and update them, but I don't write them any longer. What are some of your particular areas of interest now or kind of as you've developed as an architect? I still think that obviously the uh, building envelope is the primary interest on my part, not just because it's litigious, uh, ends up in court consistently, but I think it is. it has morphed because of the new code regulations uh, over the last uh, 20 years has made the exterior environment of building um, more litigious in the sense that there's more failures because we've enclosed the building, made it tighter, caused all kinds of problems. And um, I think that new products that came out, some uh, were beneficial, some didn't work at all. Uh, bad building techniques, what we were doing 30 years ago, isn't adaptable today because we added so much insulation to our buildings, which was a good thing. But So we haven't, as an industry, we haven't adapted very well. I, I joke around that brick masonry has been around forever. The Egyptians were using brick masonry. There's buildings that are 200 years old, not a crack in them. What haven't we learned? We're, we're putting masonry up today. It's the same brick, basically, sometimes even better, compositions, and we're getting deterioration in our walls. What has changed? Well, what has changed is what's behind it and how we're doing things. We changed a few things here and there. One little change in the mechanism destroyed the wall. So we really need to go back and analyze what we were doing 50, 60, 80 years ago that was working and what has changed, and we haven't done that. It's the same thing in the roofing industry, which is an interest of mine. There are roofs out there that are, are 80 years old and all they do is kind of touch them up and they're still waterproof and yet there's companies that will only give you 10 or 15 year warranty on a roof. Well how does that happen? Well technology changed. The products that are being made today aren't nearly as well as they were 30 years ago. The asphalts have deteriorated, they're not the best quality. Companies try to change the, the mixtures, they try to change chemicals and add what they think is better, it turns out not to be. 
But I do think the new innovations with uh, membrane roofing has really come a long way. We really need to look at that a lot closer. So things like that, I think, have changed and made the industry tougher. You're involved a little bit in the AIA's modular and offsite construction white paper, and I want to ask you about that in particular. But going back to kind of what we were just saying about the building envelope, do you see things like prefabricated panels, for instance, is that part of the solution or is that part of the problem? I personally think it's part of the solution. I think the reason it came about is because there was a problem. And people said, we can build this better inside uh, under ideal conditions uh, because part of the failures in, in uh, exterior envelopes have been just not necessarily unskilled labor, but people rushing, doing, trying to cut corners, things like that, for the most part. Poor designs have led to it. When it's built under ideal conditions and you can study it uh, properly, I think the failure rates will be zero, if not uh, nil, but close to zero. Anyway, um, to, to get back to what you're saying, I think there's two terms. People say modular, off-site. I, I, I like the off-site because modular gives you the an implication that it's it's uh, cheap and but it, and it's not. It has nothing to do with that. That's a misnomer. But prefabricated construction can occur as, as little as just a piece of the envelope. It could be as much as a room. It could be the entire building. So that part of it's really intriguing. So let's to answer your question. I think if um, we can prefabricate entire exterior skins, I think that would lend, a, lend go a really long way in improving our buildings because. Uh, not only is it coming from one entity where you get, um, if it's sole sourced to that manufacturer, they're going to back it up with warranties, which when you have a full assembly where it's com uh, individual components provided by different manufacturers, it's hard to get a warranty and somebody to back it up. So the sole source sourcing does uh, lend itself very well. So I think it's a good thing. So I guess zooming out, how do you see prefab techniques affecting the industry as a whole? It's not the end to all ends. It's not going to be, it's not 100% everybody's going to be prefabricated tomorrow. It lends itself very well, uh, off-site construction does, to projects that meet the criteria of smaller entities, not big expansive rooms. They don't have big, like a, they could never do a convention center. And it also lends itself well to projects that need the speed. They have to be done in a short period of time and every, everything can be done off-site and then brought in and set up very quickly. Perfect for that. They are fairly economical. Depends on the application. If the if it's in a, uh, a large city where wage rates are pretty high, then uh, the offsite construction drops the wage rates down because they can be built for less expensive money and brought in. Labor unions, I don't think really like that, but that's reality. So I do see it. They do have a market. I think they as they become more and more popular. There's not that many people right now doing it. Um, as it, there's more competition, I think it'll even come down further. But I'm very, very pleased with what we've seen in the uh, off-site construction that our firm has done. The, uh, uh, the workmanship has been phenomenal. It's amazing how they can do it. It's, it blows me away that you could put something together like a, a set of Legos and bring it together and it works very well. We've had very little issues and, and most of them have been just lack of coordination both on our part and the con contractor's part because we're not just not used to doing it. But I'm really pleased with it. It's great. And I think it's going to, I think it'll come along and steal a piece of the marketplace for sure. You talk about not necessarily having a lot of experience doing it. Does the role of the architect change at all when you're working on a project that's going to use modular and offsite construction techniques versus one that's, I guess, more traditional? Oh, absolutely does. The big thing is, first of all, you're, you're dealing with uh, different entities that you haven't dealt before. You might actually have, and you should have two contractors 
the off-site fabricator contractor, and then you also have the one that's actually on-site doing the foundations and maybe finishing up the building. So you're dealing with two contractors. That's unusual in itself. You're coordinating an element that's off-site and ending up at the B site. That's unusual. But the other thing is, which is really unusual and struck me, and I never really thought about it until we got into it, architects have taken a hands-off approach, as we should, from a liability standpoint, um, on means and methods. We don't tell the contractor how to build the building. We show them what the end result is. We use reference standards. We draw uh, diagrams and how he gets there is up to him. Does it require the architect to take on more of a leadership role or just to kind of collaborate more with the contractor or a little bit of both? I would say a little bit of both and uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. If you just leave the leadership role and tell the contractor to figure it out, you're, you're avoiding your, I think, your responsibility. And also, you don't want to leave it to chance because you still are responsible for this building. But it, I, as I mentioned before, I, I think that it's a learning, potential learning possibility for the architect to realize how these things actually get built. Because a lot of times we draw things that are difficult to build in the field and we don't find out. The contractor just will end up doing it. While the modular, um, they can't do that. It can't be faked. It's definitely a new role for the architect and a good one. How do innovations like growth in BIM and design technology affect that process or make it easier? I think that BIM, or specifically we use Revit, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for BIM, I don't think off-site construction would have taken off, at, probably at all in my opinion. I hate to say that. I think the prefabricated contractors would argue that point because uh, it's, it's, it, it doesn't say much for them. But the fact that we can make a 3D model out of something and avoid all the conflicts up front is tremendous, and especially for them. So I don't know that it would have happened. Yeah, I was going to ask kind of how BIM is starting to change the architectural practice in general, and it sounds like you're saying that a lot of these innovative project delivery techniques that's kind of led to the outgrowth of a lot of those. You're absolutely correct. And I also think uh, Revit is something I'm, I'm excited about. I think BIM and Revit are just phenomenal. I didn't realize how much information can go into a, a 3D model. And I think that's a wonderful thing for young architects to put a building together. You really have to know what you're doing. It makes you think about something in three dimension, which I think we got away from quite a bit, particularly when CAD came along because people were thinking in two dimension uh, as opposed to sketching it out in three dimension. And I'm guilty of that. I'm not pointing fingers. So I think bringing the BIM back into the system certainly lent itself very well. And I'm excited about that. I think it's phenomenal. Um, I think it's going to be great for the field. I think there's going to be less issues from a legal standpoint for architects in the future because there's less, there's less uh, problems in the field, potentially. The only disadvantage I see with BIM right now, and I think it's something, it's, I call it growing pains. It's like anything else. We have to learn how to use the tool correctly. And I believe it's called level of development, where some people are drawing at level one and some people are drawing at level three on the same model. And when you give that model to a contractor, he or she doesn't know that it's all at level three. And so they're looking for really the level of details there. There's more detail than you really want to give the contractor. Let's take a quick break for a word from Jeldwin, our partner for the Building Forward podcast. Hi, Sean Van Dyke here. I've written a series of articles specifically for builders and contractors with proven tips for boosting the profitability of your business. They're part of a larger series created by Jeldwin called The Business of Building. And you can access these valuable insights now for a limited time. Head over to jeldwin.com forward slash business and get the ideas that will help you get ahead. That's jeldwin.com 
forward slash business. And now back to my conversation with Sal Verastro, principal at Spillman Farmer Architects. One of the theoretical goals of this technology is to be able to kind of improve communication or improve collaboration. You're able to share that model back and forth. What obstacles remain, I guess, to kind of improving that communication or to improving that collaboration once you start using that technology? Well, I think the great thing about it, besides uh, initially the clash detection, I think later on the beauty of it is for the owner. They can use it for all kinds of things later on. Facilities management, taking it you know, further down the line, renovations in the future. The model will provide all the information that an owner needs under one envelope as opposed to having 16 volumes of three ring binders with all kinds of information, it's consolidated, it's accurate, it's easily retrievable, it's easily saved, it's not a piece of paper, which is, I wanted to actually mention before, I think one of the things I'm excited about for the future is that everything's moving digitally really, not as quickly as we'd like to, but it is getting there. Um, I'm, I'm big on contract administration, and that lagged behind the digital world for a long time. We were still doing paper and contract administration, we draw digitally, we transmitted documents digitally, but when we got to CA, we were still doing paper. Not everybody, and I'm in a small firm, and it took a long time for everybody to catch up to that in the contract administration world where we started doing everything digitally, saving things digitally, doing punch lists digitally, and it made things faster and better. We could take all the information we had, whether they were photographs, other documents, uh, sketches, and put them all under one envelope and transmit it and save it. And that just wasn't happening. I think I see today people are doing phenomenal things with contract administration. What are some ways architects and their collaborators can make projects more efficient throughout the life of the project and maybe ones that architects don't think about right now? I think personally, one of the things that a lot of times I see on a personal experience is when we work with, with a client directly up front. So this goes back to step one. We don't communicate very well with the owner. We don't do full programming and communication and document everything. And sometimes things get lost in the shuffle where we didn't hear a client correctly and uh, later on it rose to the surface. I, you know, there's a finger point. I didn't tell you to do this or I told you to do something different. So I think that as far as efficiencies, an architect has to document everything so well and share it back with the owner and make sure the owner sees it and say, this is what I heard you say is it correct? And that will make a project so much more efficient because then everyone goes off the, uh, goes off the same page. And that's not, I'm not just talking about the architecture, I'm talking about all the consultants that we use, structural, mechanical, electrical, acoustical, construction managers as well. They have to be involved in this whole process. Everyone's on the same page. I think as architects, we did a really poor job and the most successful architects do that very well, uh, whether they're large firms or small firms. It's really important to keep the client close to the vest Keep them knowledgeable of what's going on and informed throughout the process. No clients like surprises. Now, I never met a client that says, oh, I don't care. That's not what I wanted, but I don't care. They absolutely do care. And so we just got to keep an open book with them. And the, it's tough to do that. It really is because it takes time to do it, and time is money. And most architects just want to design and, and win awards, but you, you got to go through the whole process. It's like anything else. There's been seemingly a ton of innovation in project delivery strategies in recent years, and we talked about some of the technology basis. Are there other factors that have kind of driven the need for those innovations in project delivery? I'm not sure I can answer that intelligently, but I will say that I think that there's a lot of project delivery methods, and there's a reason for them. 
there was obviously a gap. Whether you liked them or not, whether you like design build, whether you like CM, whether you like design bid build, it doesn't really matter. I think every client's different. Does one lend itself better? I, I think the fact that a client has different options based on their financial situation, their timing, their trust, it, all, it really comes down to do you trust the system um, uh, and if uh, you have a good relationship with one entity or another. They all work very well. I think architects have to be careful about their risks depending on the delivery process, but I don't know that technology lent itself well, although I think getting back to when we were doing the offsite construction, I think technology definitely helped the design build entities. I don't know that they would be able to succeed in the old paper world as they do today because it moves so fast and speed is of the essence for them. Typically that's why design build is, is used quite often in fast tracking projects. So from that standpoint, I think that's probably the one that comes to mind. What areas of innovation or technology within your firm or within the industry are you most excited about? I tell you what, what excites me, I don't know if it's a technology, but I think that the students coming out of college today are so well prepared in their graphics capabilities and their design background. It's phenomenal. It is amazing to me that the young students coming out are so well prepared from all, all the schools. And I give the NCARB a lot of credit and they have really done a great job in helping train architects and of course it started a long time ago and it takes a while for them to come out of school and, and the schools to catch up but across the board they're doing a phenomenal job so they really are teaching the students all kinds of new programs uh, not, not, not just uh, graphically expressing themselves but really designing well and, and looking at things for example in Revit they can look at things in a 3D model but they're doing it today just in a fantastic way and I think it makes us better architects they're doing things that we it took us weeks to do they're doing it in minutes and hours so from that standpoint that's just phenomenal and we could take that time that we we would normally have lost and put it into doing better design for the client so the clients benefit and it helps our process as well I think we would spend too much time on design and design development today. We're really putting into CDs and making the project work better, which is a, is a good thing. That, that, that's exciting to me. What's the greatest source of inspiration for your work? I think coming to events like this um, and going to seminars and, and meeting other people. Networking to me is such a great part of my inspiration. I hear what other people are doing. I like listening to other architects talk. You know, you could read about them. In, in, in magazines, you could go the whole route. There's no question, and, that, and that's good. But to hear them say it in person and be able to raise your hand and ask a question is something you think is, to me, an inspiration. I love to hear the personal contacts from people one-on-one. -on -one. It's just fantastic. But I learned so much from my colleagues. Well, you know I'm on the AA Documents Committee. I never met a group of people that were more intelligent than those group of people. I learned so much from them, and not just from a technical standpoint, well, that's part of it, but from a design standpoint, they share so many different ideas, what they're doing, and how they're doing it. Just a phenomenal group of people. That's me. I, when, after a meeting, I'm, I'm just energized after that meeting. It's, I'm, I become passionate about certain things, and um, I think it's a great industry. We need to collaborate so much more, which I think we got away from for whatever reason, but there's no, there's no excuse for it today with technology. What makes you optimistic about the building and design industry in the years ahead? I think because of the way we're doing things today, what, what scared me is the litigious society we live in. A lot of architects uh, ended up with, uh, somebody was joking around, every architect's gotten sued every once a year, and which is not necessarily the case, but there was a joke about that. And that's, that's shameful. That shouldn't happen. Why were they getting sued? Um, what were they doing wrong? Uh, did they, were they not educated enough? 
I think technology has helped us alleviate some of those problems. Technology has helped us gain a lot more education so we can do better buildings and challenge ourselves. So I see less issues for architects in the future, the ones that stay involved and, and do their continuing education, which was, you know, I don't think architects would have stood up and said, I need more education. It was forced upon us by the states, by, our, by the laws, by the AIA, which is a great thing. That's going to help us out uh, in the long run. We never stop learning. Just think about architects like myself. 30 years ago, I got out of college. I, I would still be drafting on paper today and typing away on a typewriter if it wasn't for technology. Now, I don't want to ever go back to that again. And it's not because it's easier, because it's better and allows me to do the things I like to do, and like to design and make buildings better, not go through the mundane process of drawing lines. That's not what we want to do. We're designers. So that's exciting. I, I, and I really think that that's going to be better for the future for architects. Hey, we're going to have mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. But I think um, as, as we grow and, and learn how, how to deal with those mistakes, that, you know, and stand up and say, I made a mistake instead of pointing the finger. It's really important to understand that. Most, you know, most architects don't understand the entire project delivery system. They don't understand the difference between CM and design build. I say most, a lot of people. I think that just goes back to education. You gotta, you gotta, education never stops. We never stop learning. And if you do, that's when you falter. So the educational process is, is an important one. Do you have an area you're particularly focused on for yourself or for your firm in the year ahead? We like to focus a little bit more on the uh, uh, health uh, industry. We see a lot of innovation going into that. We're, we're excited about that. I personally like uh, forensic studies. I, going back forward to the envelope, I'm really excited about just walking around here, the different types of envelope systems that we use on our buildings instead of the same old, same old. There's a lot of opportunities to do something totally different with the same materials, but looking at it a different way and uh, keeping our buildings watertight, but yet, um, making them look great, making them exciting for their client. Um, uh, so I'm excited about that. To me, that's what I look forward to in the future. Thanks so much for taking the time for me. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks again for stopping by the Building Forward podcast. Let us know what you think by emailing me at buildingforward at hamleywood.com.